Well, thank you so much. I can honestly say that we, are, we have been so encouraged by our visit on this particular occasion. Uh, for those of you that were with us yesterday, we had an absolutely wonderful day uh, just knowing God's presence with us as three churches came together and prayed. And as Dan said, there's two other guys that came with us. They're preaching different churches. And I'm so sorry, but you ended up with me. <laughs> um, and uh, it's a delight to be here uh, with you again. I, I want to encourage you as a church, actually, as a church community, that with all the things that we're believing God for and praying for at this moment, uh, that you have a particular real vital part to play in that. And uh, whether that's going to be sending people to plant churches or whether that's going to be making disciples, raising up people, whether that's going to be just prayer, I just sense that this church community, not only here in Edinburgh but beyond, is going to have an increasing role. And you have a great future as a church. I've been privileged to be coming here for many years and every time I come back I, I find myself uh, just not being nostalgic about you. I don't know if that's because there's not many good things in the past to be nostalgic about. <laughs> but the reality is that I always find myself stirred about what's not yet happened, what God's yet to do amongst you as a community. I feel that as we come back, it's the beginning of something still. And there's so much more that God has uh, planned for us. The other thing that you discover when you come to weekends like this is who's got the gifts you know, that God's going to use and whatever. And this morning I've just discovered that Dan doesn't have the gift of... Um, <laughs> not of anything, but certainly of giving notices. Can I show a show of hands, please, who agrees with me on that? Um, he actually did improve a wee bit as the morning went on, but only just so you discover these things. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn, please, to John chapter 1. It's a fantastic chapter. I'm just going to read from verse 14, and I'm going to speak this morning uh, about the subject of grace and truth. Um, it is a subject that some of you here, particularly leaders, I think back in January, might have heard me speak on this subject, but it's one that it lives with me. I keep coming back to it. I think it's got huge relevance for us. This is what John says about Jesus. And I want you to pick up, you know, you, you could have said lots of things about Jesus. People did say lots of things about him. They described him, who he was, etc. And um, But notice what John says about Jesus. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I just love this description of Jesus, full of grace and truth. It comes a couple of times, and then there's this phrase, we have all received grace upon grace. And if there was room more for Scripture, it would just go grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. 
But Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth. Full. Not measure of grace and truth. Not hints of grace and truth. Not that he has grace on certain days and not on others. Or truth on certain days and not on others. So if you're with Jesus, you might end the day thinking, that was a bit of a truth day. A bit lacking in grace. Or that was a really grace day. Wasn't a lot of truth in it. Never ever did that happen. The description is he was always fully, equally full of grace and just the same full of truth. And Jesus ministered all the time, always with truth that was peppered with grace so that the people who heard him never felt condemned. Now, you can condemn people by speaking truth. Jesus never did that because the way that he communicated was always with grace and gave people hope. And then when Jesus ministered grace, he always did it equally with truth so that he never, ever compromised. He didn't water down who he was or what he said or what he believed. There's this strange thing in our society that Christianity is just tolerant of anything and everybody. Have you ever read the Gospels? Have you ever met Jesus? Who, though he was full of grace, never compromised one moment the things that he knew to be true and he believed. And so Jesus, in every situation that he ever faced, when you read the Gospels, you'll see this is true, is equally full of grace and truth at that moment. And listen, this is important. Every person that he ever communicated with, he was equally full of grace and truth. He never changed in any situation. You might read the Gospels and think, this is the time to change Jesus. Just dial down on the truth. Or this is the time to change it. Don't, 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 don't do that so much, but do this. He was with every situation, every person equally the same. And I am just fascinated and intrigued. Do you know that you can be a Christian for 50 plus years like me and still get fascinated and intrigued by Jesus? I'm just fascinated. What did this look like? This being equally grace and truth. What what was that like to be with him? So let me quickly give you some examples. I mean, he was known as the friend of sinners. Is that one of your titles? And so when Jesus was with sinners, it, to me, this is just, just think about this. This is a man who has no sin. He has never sinned. And the room is full of sinners. And they're the kind of sinners that are not hiding their sin. They're not the religious, respectable people. These sinners are well known to be sinners. They actually have the phrase of sinners. they that no one's hiding the fact. And so Jesus, with no sin, walks into the room and it's full of sinners. Now, what, you, what would you and I think would happen? The sinners would all flee. They'd run out of the room because they feel so unclean. And somehow, though he had no sin and they were full of sin, they didn't do that. Kind of means to me that without compromise, the grace of God through Jesus, the Son of God, was accepting these people. They did not feel condemned because he was in the room. 
And actually, there's a phrase, an old phrase that you can read in old translations, the, the common people, which means the marginalized, the outcasts, welcomed him gladly. The religious people of the day made everybody who was a sinner feel terrible. Jesus, without compromise, made these people feel accepted by him. I think of his relationship with his disciples. And I think of his relationship with these, these, this group of men, and he was so kind and so generous and so patient. I mean, my, my eldership team back at home in London, you know, we, we're not perfect and we really do get things wrong and we often have to apologize. But I've never snuck into an elders meeting and found them arguing about which one of them is the greatest. It's never happened in all our eldership experience. And Jesus is kind and patient with people who don't understand really what he's saying and they're just talking about being who is the greatest amongst us. And Jesus is just so patient, so full of kindness. And no wonder the apostle John who lived with him said we have received of his kindness over and over again. But here we have this situation where nevertheless he never compromised truth. There were hard sayings. There were commitments to following him and laying down their lives and coming with me. And in his fullness and kindness and, and grace, there's the truth, isn't there, sometimes without compromise. So dear one of the disciples is just, Jesus says, get ye behind me, Satan. I mean, what's going on here? You're supposed to be kind, Jesus, and gracious. But it's this fusion of grace and truth. I think of his enemies whom he loved, who said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yet at the same time, when it came to the moment, he'd call them out. He'd tell them exactly where it's at. He'd say things that you and I wouldn't even dare say to people because he's full of grace and full of truth. Think of his family for a moment. Even his family, his mother, his brothers, there were just moments when he had choices to compromise on truth to be gracious to them. And times when the other way round would have happened. Think of that moment when the mother and brothers come to take him away because they think he's mentally sick because he's, he's, he's just gone overboard. Uh, and, and at that moment, it's a moment of truth. He says to the people in the room, you are my mother and brothers who do my will. In other words, my own mother and brothers are not doing my will. And I think at the same time, he's saying, in this potential offense, Father, bring them through. In this moment of grace and truth, bring them through. And we all know that at the cross, there she is, his mother. There are his brothers, disciples. They came through in the end. So I'm just intrigued. I'm just mesmerized by this Jesus who is in this situation. You see, because, and this is really important, it's, it's going to get practical. So if this is getting too theological, don't worry about it. How can he get too theological in church? I don't know, but we'll keep going. His message of grace was not do whatever you want. His message of grace was not be whoever you feel you are with whoever you like. So when the grace that God gave to people whereby he, they came to him, like the woman caught in adultery, it was so kind and so generous when everyone wanted to stone her. Jesus says, without, he who was without sin cast the first stone, which meant there was only one person who could have done that. And who was that? Jesus. He doesn't do it. He's full of grace. And then he says, go and sin 
no more. It's the grace, but it's also with the truth. The truth was, follow me, take up your cross. The truth was, my grace is available to you, but the result will be change. The result will be living a different kind of life. The result will be radically being a different kind of person. But nor was his ministry truth with rules and regulations that left people without hope and felt that they were condemned. It was come to me and you will have rest. There's the grace aspect of it. And take this yoke upon you. There's the truth aspect of it as well. So that's the backdrop to all of this, fascination with this Jesus. But I think it has massive consequences for us today. For example, it has the consequence that if we are followers of Jesus, should we also, in in our endeavors to be like him, be full of grace and full of truth? Is that how people describe you? I'm not sure that's how people describe me. I have grace days and truth days. I have days where half grace and half truth, depending on who I'm with. Even though this weekend I've run out of grace on several occasions. You try living with the Hudsons for the weekend, you'll know what I mean. There's been moments where I've run out of truth because I thought, oh, I don't want to deal with that because I want to be just gracious about that situation. The consequences are, firstly, that we, we are his followers. So, so we should be full of grace and truth. Here's another consequence. The way we relate to one another as a Christian community should be full of grace. This king should be a grace, truth-filled church. So when people come amongst us, they don't just hear sermons like this. They actually see it on display. They experience the grace and truth that we have amongst us for one another. And perhaps most importantly, the consequence of following this Jesus full of grace and truth is how we communicate the love of Jesus to a world that's increasingly secular and hostile towards God and his purposes and towards the word of God. So the way that we communicate to our enemies, as it were, or people who would not want to be with us is also really important, just in the way that Jesus did. Can I just say this about our world today? And I think this will drive it home. There are two things that are missing in our society. It's these two things we're talking about right now. Grace and truth. There's just so little grace left in our world. Social media will declare that loud and clear. Well, he deserved it. And the fact that I've done it as well is not an issue, but he deserved it. And there's so little forgiveness and willingness to be gracious in our world today. So we're living in a world where people never see grace. They never experience grace. They desperately need grace. And what about truth? Well, there's none left, is there? Your truth, my truth, how you feel truth, no absolute truth. So we're living in a society that's devoid of grace and devoid of truth. And in marches Jesus. Boy, does our world need to meet this Jesus. By the way, there's no other Jesus. This Jesus. And so when I sometimes despair about how am I going to communicate this gospel with a world that seems to be increasingly going away from me, I am so encouraged that Jesus gives me the answer, be full of grace and truth. 
The more full of grace and truth you are, the more you'll be able to bridge that gap. So let's just kind of eke this all out for us today. How do I become full of grace and truth? By the way, just to let you know, some of you are taking notes. Just be very careful because you're going to abbreviate this to G and T. And that could be very embarrassing later on (laughs) if people look at your notes and say, Dave was talking about gin and tonics? I mean, what was that about? So just, just be careful who sees your notes after this meeting. How do I become fully both, full of grace and full of truth? And incidentally, I need to be, because if I'm full of grace without truth, I'm in trouble. I'm full of truth without grace, then I'm equally in trouble. So how do I become full of grace and truth? Well, I think the first thing is this. We do need to learn to abide in Jesus. In other words, attending meetings at Kings on Sunday mornings does not guarantee that you'll be full of grace and truth. Hopefully some of it will spill out into your life, but it's actually day by day, 24-7, living, dwelling, remaining, abiding. Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. So how do I become full of grace and truth? I allow the one who's full of grace and truth to live in me, and I choose on a daily basis to live in him. By the way, if you are a Christian here today, you are not automatically fruitful. It's the Christian who chooses to abide in the vine who will be fruitful. And so the fruitfulness, part of the fruit is grace, and part of the fruit is truth. So from my despairing position of how on earth am I ever going to be a person filled with grace and truth, I'm immediately encouraged. Because the first thing is this, if I choose to abide in Christ, then these things will happen in my life. And the fruit of abiding in Christ is just simply that you and I will become like him. So Romans 8 verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, which means to become like Jesus, in order that we might be the fir- he might be the firstborn amongst the brothers, which means all of us, men and women, in the line behind him, become like him. I'm encouraged by that. Anybody else encouraged? That if you abide in Christ, guess what? You're going to become like him. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You and I, on our journey as Christians, are becoming more and more like Jesus because the promise is that if we abide in him and walk with him, this will be the result. So please Just show me if you're still with me this morning. If you would like to be more like Jesus, would you please put your hand up, right? You don't have to be to do that, but it's it. How many of you think the person next to you needs to be more like Jesus? (laughs) Can I see a show of hands? Two hands are going up. Wife nudging a husband, and you need to wake up and listen to this word. And folks, seriously, without knocking meetings, because they are really, really important that we gather together, becoming like Jesus doesn't happen you know, in meetings much. It happens through life. It happens through the things that happen. Here's the second way that we become full of grace and full of truth. It is a work of the Spirit. I mean, I haven't got time to read you know, all of this, but if you go through John 14 and just take some time, three chapters, it won't take you long, John 14 right through to John 16 you'll be reminded that this is the work of the Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit, when you read these scriptures, is known as the Spirit of truth. 
So if I'm going to be full of truth, guess what? I need to be filled with the Spirit. Here's the good news. Becoming full of grace and truth is not self-effort. It's not you trying really hard. It is you being daily filled with the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth. And I love that verse in verse 18 of, of John 14 uh, about, I will not leave you as orphans. And it's just such a wonderful, gracious moment. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and you, you have assurance inside of you that you are a child of God. You no longer feel like an orphan because you feel like you have a father. That is a work of the Spirit. Work of the Spirit within you is to give you assurance that you are a child of God. Romans 8 speaks about the witness of the Spirit within you and his witness with my spirit. And we cry out, Abba, Father. That's not self-effort. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13, again, reminds us, the spirit of truth will always lead you into all truth. So you're abiding in Christ, you're going to become like Jesus, full of grace and truth. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he will always, always, always lead you into grace and lead you into truth. Not through my workings, but through. And the Holy Spirit always leads us into grace. He will never lead you into legalism. He will never lead you into law. And the Holy Spirit always, always agrees with truth and never contradicts truth. Sometimes people would say things like, something happens or something. Is that the Spirit? Is that the Holy Spirit? How do I know that's the Holy Spirit? The answer is twofold. One is, is Jesus glorified through what you just saw? Because the Holy Spirit has only come to glorify Jesus. You say, yeah, yeah, Jesus was glorified. And the second thing is, it always agrees with the word of God. It never, ever. So, I mean, this is a sad thing to have to say, but over the many years I've been in ministry, there have not been one, two, maybe even three occasions when a couple has said to me, we kind of know that we're not married yet, and we know the Bible says um, that we're not to sleep together, but we just feel the Holy Spirit has given us kind of special permission what do you think? I mean, that's weird, right? But it happens, and it's like, well, I, I don't think Jesus is glorified through that, and I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit's not speaking to you. Because the Holy Spirit always agrees with the Word of God that says that that is not the behavior that you should have as a child of God. Number three, we appropriate grace and truth Equally. In other words, I need to be filled with grace and I need to be filled with truth. Grace. Let's just think about that for a second. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Or you could say, I am who I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God. That was with me. Paul is saying, I know this grace has changed me. It's a fantastic doctrine, the grace of God. I hope you understand it. But it's not meant to be just a doctrine. It's meant to come and permeate and change every part of our lives. You don't get filled with grace by having knowledge about grace. You get filled with grace by allowing the life and power of grace to come and permeate every part of your life. That's why Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. It wasn't just his knowledge about it. It was in him. It was who he was. It was his very identity. It just oozed out of him in every situation. Jesus didn't have to try hard to be filled with grace and truth. 
And so we equally need to understand that the doctrine of grace, wonderful though it is, is a living entity that needs to change our lives. So what's on offer for you and me is this. When you run out of grace for people, God has more grace for you. When you and I are in circumstances of life we don't understand, perplexities, we just don't understand this. The good news is the grace of God will help you in that moment, even when you don't understand the grace of God is available to bring you through. Trials, difficulties, troubles. There's verses in the Bible that particularly highlight trouble as a grace issue. In the time of trouble, you will know grace. That's not just a head knowledge. That's a living reality. When you're in disappointments, the grace of God is available. If you're married today and you go through difficult times in your marriage, do you know what? God's grace is available. Don't park it on a Sunday. Allow the grace of God to come. And if you're single and you'll go through times when it's a bit tough being single, grace is available for you in your singleness. And so the wonderful thing for all of us as Christians is this entity, this living reality of grace is there. If you have children, there's grace for children. If you're a child listening to me today outside the building, you have grace for your parents. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. There's grace that's available. Grace is always there. New every morning is the love of God. Grace is like an ocean that never runs out, never runs dry. Freely give, freely you will receive. Isn't that amazing? If you want to be full of grace and truth today, come to the Lord every day and say, Lord, today, please flood me with your truth. And like the Apostle Paul, sometimes even when it seems that you work hard and you serve, even in church life, listen carefully, you can be on one of the teams serving, doing something in the life of this church and run out of grace. So you end up doing it out of duty. Please don't do that. Get grace for what God's called you to do. Be flooded with grace. And the more grace you have, you'll come back. And so you give out and you come back and there's more grace. And you give out and you come back and there's more grace. Wonderful. Always there. Always available. God wants to fill us with grace. And just very quickly, how do I get filled with truth? It's understanding what truth really does for you that motivates you to want to be filled with truth. So when people say to me, do I have to read the Bible? In fact, they usually say it like this. Do I have to read the Bible? Like, do I have to get on a serving team? You know, it's the same kind of thing. Do I have to read the Bible? It's a bit of a giveaway when you say it like that. And the reality is no. God will love you just the same, whether you never, ever, ever read the Bible. But it shows me you've not grasped that there is a difference between having to read the Bible and loving truth. If we learn to love truth, we will be filled with truth. And the way we get filled with truth is to understand how wonderful the truth is. I desperately want to know grace in my life for all the things I face, but I equally need truth in my life to keep me as a child of God and to keep me doing the purposes of God. The truth sets you free. The truth renews your mind. The truth is like an unchanging plumb line in a, in a world that's forever changing. I'm going to keep going till I see one or two of you motivated. 
The truth is like a foundation, like a rock, so you don't get blown about by everything that happens in your life. The truth, the word of God, is built on facts, not on feelings. So when you're going through difficult times and your feelings are all over the place, the answer is, what does God say? So you run back to the truth to know what God says about those things. The truth is full of promises that you can receive by faith. The truth is wisdom when you don't know what to do. The Bible says the truth is a sword in your hand to destroy the works of the enemy. The Bible says the truth is like life given to you. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. When you feed on him and his truth, you're no longer malnourished, but you're restored to go again. To be full of truth, if that's what you would like to be, become a student of truth. Become someone who pursues truth. I hope that's helpful. How do I become full of grace and truth? Abiding. It's a work of the Spirit. I give myself, my posture is, to appropriate grace and truth equally into my life. Now, very quickly, I think there are two major outworkings of this. And the first of these two things, this is the question how, oh, it's a statement really, how we relate to one another as God's people so that we here in Kings become known as a grace and truth filled church community. I want to be in a church like this. I want to be, I want to be a member of a church which is full of grace and truth. So, in other words, the outworking, all we've been saying so far this morning comes to a fruition how we get on with one another, how we talk to one another, how we do life together as a Christian community. That no one comes in amongst us and thinks, ooh, will I suffer by being part of this church community? <laughs> but rather, I'm confident if I come into this church community, it won't be legalistic, will make me condemned, it won't be just frivolous, everyone does what they like, but this is a church equally full of grace and equally full of truth. How can we guarantee? What's the, what, what, what's the missing link? What's the formula that can guarantee that you as a church community, I'm, I'm bending down to get close to you, and I'd love to get up there close to you guys. What is the missing formula? I tell you, the key to the whole thing of Kings being a grace-filled, truth-filled community is you. Is you? There's no formulas. There's no... Systems, there's no way to guarantee. It's all about you, it's all about me. This church being full of grace and truth begins with me. I don't wait for you to come and bring grace and truth to me. My responsibility is to be the one who brings it to you. And guess what? If everybody in this church does that, you end up with a grace and truth filled community. Sometimes people say to me, trouble with this church is it's just not a loving church. I've been here for a few months. No one's really come to me. No one's really spent time with me. No one's kind of, I just don't, they talk about love, but they're not a kind of loving church. Or trouble is this, this church is not a grace-filled church. It's not a truth-filled church. And it's kind of made like that. And depending who the person is and kind of what mood I'm in, full of grace and truth, of course, I, I will say to them, and what about you? Who are you going to? Who are you loving? Who are you serving? And it's not to tell the person off. It's to try and send an important message that 
Some of us are waiting, and we're going to wait all our life for someone else to do this for us. If you take a first step, you'll be amazed how much other people respond to that. You think, well, they should have responded in the first place. Well, maybe. But the reality is it begins with me, it begins with you. Ephesians chapter 2 is a well-known scripture, isn't it? Reminding us, verse 4, but God rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In other words, every person that's a member of any local church, actually, comes through the same process. You were dead, and you are now alive. Which means that I have no more right to be a Christian than you do. So this is, this is really, really important. There's no special people. There's no people that got in the back door. Just because you were born into a Christian family is irrelevant. Every person is dead. So if you are now here today alive in Christ, that's a miracle. And it's a work of grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You weren't good enough for it. And you're still not. So your whole life is realizing, I got in. You got in. You got in. You got in. How did you get in? We all got in the same way. So the very way we come in is through grace. Then I get to Romans 15, verse 7, which is a verse I wish I wasn't in the Bible. It's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? But I wish I wasn't there because it's just so, it's so amazing. It says this, accept one another, then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Some reason the ESV version says, welcome one another as you have been welcomed in Christ. I think it's a terrible translation because depending where you are in the world, the way you welcome people is very, very different. So in, if you're in the States, it's all high five, welcome. As Jesus high-fived you, high-five one another. You know, here in Scotland or, or in England, welcome is welcome. Jesus welcomes you. We welcome. You know, if you're in France, depending which part of France you're in, it's a kiss on cheek either side. And if you go down midway France, it's three kisses. And if you get right down to the bottom of France, it's four. And I always forget where I am. And it gets really, it gets really embarrassing at certain moments. So I love the root of this. What it really means is accept one another, receive one another, as Christ has accepted you for the glory of God. Do you know why this verse is so difficult? I don't get to choose who I accept. That's the first part of law and grace, sorry, of grace and truth right there before me. I'm undone. I accept you. For one reason only, you were accepted by Christ. I don't have any choice. I'm sorry to say you don't have any choice accepting me either. But the truth is that that's the bottom line where we accept one another. Full stop. So we do not relate to one another on the basis of that you are like me or the color of our skin or the language that we speak, or the class that we come from in our background, or the culture that we're in, or that the church is now becoming increasingly diverse. These are not reasons as to why we accept one another. We accept one another because we've been accepted in Christ. 
We don't accept one another because we all have the same interests. Have you noticed that in church? We are not here because we all like the same hobbies. There are people here who have bizarre hobbies. I'm not interested in your hobby. If you're interested in badminton, go join the badminton club. Do you know what keeps everybody united is their love of badminton. Church is not like that. Church is full of people with different likes and different dislikes. We have different personalities and temperaments, and we're called to accept one another. We don't hang out with those we naturally click with because we now accept one another as we've been accepted in Christ. So it's not on the basis of our likes and our dislikes. I mean, take music, for example. This room would be full of people who have all sorts of different likes and dislikes of all kinds of genres of music. I mean, I got saved in the 1970s. In the Christian world in those days, there was a thing going around that rock music was of the devil. So I'm passionately saved in Jesus, and I think, and I loved rock music. I was in a band and everything. And so dutifully, I, I threw all my LPs away, all my rock music. And I'm so glad all these years later that Spotify has been invented because now no one knows what I listen to and what I don't listen to. And it was only years later that I discovered it's actually country music that's of the devil. It wasn't <laughs> rock music all that time at all. And so, honestly, if you love country music, I accept you as you have been accepted in Christ. It is not the basis of how we as a community love and accept one another. There are many scriptures, Colossians 3, verse 12. I haven't got time to read them all. And 1 Peter 3, if you're making notes, 8 to 9, these wonderful scriptures, put on love, care, kindness, bear with one another. How do we do this? By understanding that we've all been accepted in Christ. There's an I, uh, end of July, in a beautiful church. This has become part of New Ground in Cape Town, Jubilee Community Church, absolutely a wonderful, amazing church. And just sitting with these dear people of huge diversity. So you sit around, how do we do church in massive diversity? There are people who live in utter poverty and people who live in fabulous houses. And we're all one in Christ Jesus. Many, many questions. I am convinced the answer is in being like Jesus. Each one of us, we've filled with grace and filled with truth. There's a way through. Final point I want to mention is relating to our secular world. Grace and truth. I think this is why I'm so intrigued by Jesus being full of grace and truth, is a must. What was Jesus like in those mission moments? Do you know the answer? Exactly the same. He never changed. When I'm in this situation with unbelievers and there's a mission moment, I kind of go strange. <laughs> Something happens to me. Jesus was just full of grace and truth <clears throat> wherever he was and whatever he does. And I mentioned this at the beginning, so very briefly. We all know the gap is forever widening between the Christian community and what our world believes about all kinds of things to the extent that the gap is now so broad they don't even like what we believe and some of them even think it's dangerous what some of us believe. I think, how, how am I going to communicate the love of God with these people? The gap's just too big. And then I have conversations with people in their 40s who are saying to me, we just don't understand the 20s. I mean, we just don't get it. We don't understand them. We don't understand their philosophies. We don't understand the things that they say. And I'm thinking in my 60s, what chance have I got if you can't even communicate with just these people? And so I can become increasingly a bit low about all of this. How do I stay relevant? How am I authentic? 
How do I stay attractive in the name of Jesus? And I'm absolutely convinced the answer is we are the ones who need to respond to this challenge and not a world that is increasingly moving away from us with a widening gap. And this is the point I want to make. I think if I don't think I have to become an expert on the latest culture in order to communicate with that culture. I think it's just beyond me, and it may be beyond you. I could spend hours trying. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I read books. I want to know this world in which I live and how people are thinking. But how do I cross? How do I break through the boundaries? And I think the answer is grace and truth. I think if I'm full of grace and truth, remember I said earlier to a world that knows none, nothing of those two things, I suddenly become one who can bridge the gap because they will receive grace and they will receive truth as it is. It's the way we speak. It's the way we live. 1 Peter chapter 3, my final verse, verse 15. It's just a remarkable verse about you know, this hope that God has put within us. Always be prepared. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. But here's my point. Yet do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. I think Christians for too long have Bible bashed and have kind of just shouted at people sometimes. So have a reason. Explain the gospel. Take those moments. And when they come, do it with gentleness and do it with respect. Which kind of leads me to just wonder whether we are, God is calling us to have a new approach to how we reach our non-Christian friends and maybe our non-Christian family members, that we do begin to realize these people are not the enemy. They are made in the image of God. In him we live and breathe and have our being. It's talking about humanity. We don't judge people. I think sometimes I can be very judgmental of people. I don't believe that Jesus was like that. He didn't compromise. He didn't dial down on sin to win people over. He was just who he was. Without judgment, there will come a day when the judge will judge all. We must be free from that. I mean, if anyone's here like me, it's sad because I'll watch the TV and I'll, I'll watch stuff and documentaries and stuff that's going on, and I just get more and more stirred up because I get angry about what's being said. And I actually vocalize my thoughts to the TV screen. In fact, I've been known to shout, oh, for goodness sake, and I'm judging it. And Liz is often there with me, and she just says, no one's listening to you. (laughs) And even if they did, they don't care what you think and what you judge. And she's just so right. We have a better story to tell. It doesn't bring condemnation and judgment. We have a better story to tell. Not a story for what the church is against, but for what we are for. Sometimes I think the answer is that we need to be those who constantly not just say things, but live. Grace and truth. To just live this out. And so that even without a word, and I'm not saying we don't share the words of the gospel, when those opportunities come, we must get in there and do this. But to understand that behind the words, there needs to be a lifestyle. And I think the reason the sinners didn't leave Jesus 
when they were with him was because of the authenticity and the magnetic attractiveness of somebody who was so different because not of what he just said, but the way he lived his life. And you and I need to become like that. There's a very strange little verse in the Bible which is talking to wives who were married to husbands who were not Christians. And the exhortation is, this is a strange thing to finish this sermon with, but you'll get the point. And the, the, the scripture just says, you can win him without a word. Isn't that interesting? In other words, by the way that you live, full of grace and full of truth, your husband's more likely to respond than if you are speaking to him. I was at the back of a meeting a number of years ago, uh, just chatting to people, and there's this guy at the back, and he's kind of got tattoos from here. That, I, mean, I can't see any of his body. He's just got tattoos. He's just, and he's a big, beefy kind of guy. Not the sort of guy that you know you think is, you know, that I would hang out with. But I just stood with him and chatted, and I said, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, yeah, absolutely love the Lord. I said, well, how did it happen? And uh, I'm intrigued. Tell me, how, how on earth did this happen? He said, well, my wife got saved about 10 years ago. And um, she was really, really passionate for God and for the things of God. And she just went down this line. And it left me miles behind. And said she would just witness to me all the time. She would always drive me to go to meetings. She wanted me to be saved desperately, but she was going about it the wrong way. So one day, I even found a tract under my pillow before I went to bed. She was planting little words around that I might see to attract me to and just put it off. There were some guys in the church that saw this happening and said to this dear lady, I think you should back off, it's making him worse. And they became a friend of his. He found guys that were not trying to lecture him but wanted to just befriend him and through being at the pub and doing other things, he got on an alpha course and he got wonderfully, wonderfully saved. So she was part of the process in that they said to her, Please win him without a word. In other words, be full of grace, be full of truth. I know it's really tempting to keep reminding him of Bible verses, but back off. And we will take him on and we'll love him and share him. And he came right through. I remember saying to him, so what was it like being married to her? He said, honestly, it was like getting into bed with Billy Graham every night. <laughs> and even that didn't work. Should we stand? I just love to pray. Father, we ask today that the revelation of Jesus, full of grace and full of truth, will not be daunting to us or unreachable like it's just a statement, but actually the reality comes home to us that surely, as followers of Jesus, we should also be known to be full of grace and full of truth. And many of us in this room probably feel we're nowhere near that. Even that, Lord, is good news, because it means you come to us again and remind us. I pray for many individuals in this room this morning who love you and follow you, that we will have hope today as followers of Jesus, we will be flooded with grace and truth. I pray for anybody here today that does not know Jesus. I pray for you today.
on your journey that you will find grace and you will find truth that might be missing in your life right now, found through Jesus. I pray for this church community to be a church flooded with grace and truth through our relationships with one another. Thank you we don't get to accept one another because we're like one another, but because we've been accepted in Christ. Help us, Lord, please, that not one person should feel unaccepted in this community. We pray, Lord, would you please help us as we live our lives, as we're hearing in our worship, we've just got a few friends or at workplace, a bit of sand, but your spirit's going to come and build something. Our little loaves and fish, what we, that which we don't have much, you will come and multiply what's in our hand. And I pray with all my heart, Lord, that this church community will have the joy of learning how to be grace and truth to a world so desperately needing those two things. Holy Spirit, even as we're coming to an end, just touch people around this room right now as we respond to the call of God on our lives. Thank you. You never come to us with condemnation. No one in this room should be feeling, well, I'm, I'm just not up to it. Come with your grace. You come with your truth. Cause us, Lord, to be people who experience your very presence and your power on a regular basis. Increase the anointing, we pray, amongst us. In Jesus' name.